This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to Sports Better's Paradise on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, Jimmy Otto along with Bruce Marshall of the Gold Sheet and Paul Stone at Paul Stone Sports as we try and catch our breath from the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. It started with a game, point seven, a foul was called, San Diego State and College of Charleston. The first weekend ended with a foul called with point seven to go with TCU. Uh, and Gonzaga, um, <laughs> San Diego State, laying five and a half, hit both free throws. They cover TCU, the point seven that uh, they thought that was going to blow TCU's coverage. Well, it just delayed it as Gonzaga missed, made both of their free throws and then letting the ball roll down the court, down the court, past half court. And this guy, I mean, have you seen a guy? Get the, gather the ball and release it as quick as the TCU kid and did not draw anything but net. Shades of Chris Duhon, but maybe even worse uh, in the Final Four against UConn. Uh, yes, there's some bad beats. And yes, try and buy that half a point. You're pretty much uh, observing all of the mobile sites. I think that Bet Rivers is the only one that allows you to buy the half a point onto the whole point for only 8 to 10 cents. If they do allow it other places, it is 15 cents, and that juice will catch up with you. But these lines are so tight. We saw it over and over. Texas on Saturday night fell the half a point. We just said San Diego State, Charleston, a half a point. There's some others in there. Bruce, let's start with you. Your observations of week, uh, the first weekend of March Madness, which was, I mean, we we've, we said it was wide open. We said that there were no true heavyweights. The you know, the 116 lines, not usually as high, kind of letting us know that this thing is wide open. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, it went out in a bang last night because we had uh, we had Gonzaga uh, in that game last night, so that was a little tough with Bow hitting the, the three-pointer right at the end. But um, the, the injury thing was, was interesting to me because we you saw all of a sudden, you know, uh, Brandon Miller talking about him uh, with his uh, supposed groin strain there. Didn't do much in the first game for Bama, but certainly came back and looked good in the second game against Maryland. Of course, the Marcus Sasser situation with Houston um, and uh, and Shed too. And then both of them lasted, especially Sasser, lasted the whole game in the second game against Auburn after Sasser. I mean, that was, that was a concerned look on Kelvin Sampson's face after uh, the Northern Kentucky game uh, on Friday night. Uh Ormier came back for Miami. That turned out to be a big plus for the Hurricanes. UCLA, though, now is one we got to watch again this week. Another uh, injury with the Singleton. Uh, after Bona came back in that game, 
and that was pretty good for UCLA. Uh, but uh, the next move for Mick Cronin was to get a call from Josh Johnson from the 49ers, I think, because uh, they're running out of players there, and they really needed to, they need Singleton to be available. Uh, Paul, your your observations of uh, the first weekend, a wild one. I mean, I've got a few, Jimmy. First of all, you know, look at how much energy, confidence, and talent that Fairleigh Dickinson uh, displayed in their three-game tournament run. And, and, and just the way they played. And then you look back at their regular season, those 35 games, there are 363 teams that play Division I basketball. If you use Ken Palm ratings – uh, fairly Dickinson, they lost to Hartford at Hartford by eight points. Hartford's 362nd out of 363. Then they lost at home. Fairly Dickinson loses at home to four teams ranked between 314th and 340th in Kim Baum's ratings. And then they play like that in the tournament. It's like just a different season. So that was really uh, impressive, although they don't move on. And then some people, and I have the same gripe, I would like to see more mid-majors in the tournament, but a lot of people are going to gripe about the mid-majors who win a lot of games against mostly uh, inferior competition. Then they lose in their conference tournament, don't get an at-large bid, and instead uh, they lose that bid at the expense of a, a team in a Power Six conference uh, who had a lot more quad one opportunities. And, uh, well, we look at Arkansas, and, of course, they were in the tournament, but they went 8-10 and 10 in the SEC, didn't even win half their games. Now they're headed to the Sweet, sweet 16. Uh, and then finally, by my count, three teams won both their games over the, week, the first uh, weekend of the NCAA tournament by double digits. Those three teams, Houston won their two games by 28 points. Alabama won both games by more than 20 points, by a total of 43 points. And then UConn wins its two games by a total of 39 points. And not surprisingly, probably the three teams that a lot of people uh, would give the best opportunity uh, with this Sweet 16 decided of going ahead and winning the national championship. Bruce, I thought that uh, uh, UConn kind of dodged a little bullet because St. Mary's had control of that game early till their their best player went out with an injury, a back injury, and he never returned, and then also foul trouble with their second leading scorer. And that, and it, you know, and I, PJ Carlissimo, who was doing the radio broadcast of that game, said, "Look, if this guy doesn't return, that's a that's a huge deal." And and then UConn just flexed their muscles against you know the banged up St. Mary's. I thought they could have been in trouble in that game. Yeah, uh, Dukas was really shooting the ball very well for St. Mary's in that game. And I thought, you know, St. Mary's was hanging in there extremely well. In the end, they didn't have quite enough uh, physicality to deal with Sonogo down on the blocks there. And Hawkins picked up the pace on the other side. He was shooting the ball even better in the second half for UConn than uh, Dukas was in the first half. But, yeah, that was an in-game situation. And uh, well, that, that, that really hurt watching Dukas there, just like his back locked up. And uh, some of us who have had back injuries in the past, that uh, sort of came back as a haunting reminder to us. But, yeah, that certainly changed the course of that game for sure. Yeah, a couple of observations, too, before we get to the four Thursday Sweet 16 matchups and, uh, and handicap those. But that is, man, with, when the, the, the mid-major, the underdog, if they get it to sort of pressure time, maybe midway through the second half, and the game's in doubt, you could see, like, Fairleigh Dickinson and, and Purdue. Oh, 
I mean, Purdue did not handle the pressure. The tight they got way to. The dog has nothing to you know, nothing to lose. They're playing with the house's money, and you know the neutral fans in the crowd get on their back as well. Uh, you guys have been to those arenas before. I mean, it's a, a lot of neutral, you know, observers in Omaha and Salt Lake City and Albany and places like that. So, I, I mean, it's it's something to keep in mind. In game, there were some massive comebacks, and the other thing is like a like a Princeton. Where does this on paper, like Paul, you talk about there's nothing on paper over the course of the regular season, a 30-game sample size, that give us an indication that Fairly Dickinson is going to make this uh, this run. Keep in mind, they, because of a technicality, you know, they don't let Merrimack into the uh, tournament. <laughs> they didn't even win their tournament. And then Princeton, who probably doesn't win their tournament if they're not playing at home. Well, it's, it was no fluke. Uh, uh, Arizona, one of the best uh, big man combination, probably the best in the country. They go even, Steven, exactly the same amount of rebounds. I think it was 35 apiece. And then Missouri, they out-rebound them by like 14, 15 rebounds, second-chance points. Wait a minute. This is supposed to be an Ivy League team that lacks size and lacks the uh, the muscles. So that was something that, you know, a 15 seed, it was kind of no fluke that they were in the game against Arizona. Big comeback. But Missouri, you watch the game. Princeton was, was way better and way stronger on the glass than Missouri was. Paul? Yeah, I mean, you know, Princeton looking looking at Princeton's performance, like you said, that that was the word as you were you were going over Princeton's first two games. My my thought was it's not flukish. You know, they they got out in front of Missouri and just uh, controlled that game from the get go. And uh, you know, I think it just goes to show uh, we use this word often in sports, especially college sports, but the parity uh, that we're seeing, uh, even with NIL, I think a lot of people feared, and it still might, but a lot of people feared that name, image, and likeness would uh, create even a greater gulf between the haves and the have-nots. But, uh, man, I mean, Princeton, they didn't look out of place at all. Like you said, two, uh, two teams from two major uh, conferences come back to beat Arizona, control Missouri from the get-go. They looked every bit the part. And uh, what an interesting game now uh, that they have coming up in the Sweet 16 round against Creighton. Bruce, that's the guard that was on Petey Carell's team that beat UCLA and Steve yeah. Levin? Uh, Mitch Henderson uh, was there. That's back when uh, Princeton used to score, you know, in, in the 40s in their game. Right. And now look at like 78 the other day. Very impressive. Uh, they took a cut. They exploited – the flaws on Arizona, which had a few flaws, and so did uh, Missouri, and took advantage of both of those. And this is a Princeton side. Look at their non-conference schedule this year. It was, they weren't really playing uh, heavyweight foes. I mean, it's a very modest schedule that Princeton had this year. So uh, a little bit of a surprise, but no doubt in the Missouri game, they will face a Creighton side that I can't find any flaws at the moment. We'll talk about that one later. But uh, the first weekend, for sure, they took advantage of those teams and they exploited their uh, those advantages and uh, rammed it through, especially that Missouri game. A couple of things. Uh, also, unders. It was all unders. So the their games Thursday through Sunday, 48 games. Unders 32-16 and 16, uh, for the weekend. So you, you saw that. And also Saturday was historically bad day for the betters, extremely good for the house. So record um, percentages of of hold 
uh, with the handle on. Start out with Duke, standalone game being a massive play. People lost a little faith in Tennessee, losing that big lead against ULL and, and failing to cover. One possession game uh, late. Duke took advantage of Oral Roberts, uh, admittedly being very um, very nervous on the big stage. Kansas uh, uh, attempting only three-and-a-half-point favorite over Arkansas. That seemed to be a little bit light. How much is Big Self, Bill Self not being there? A matter in that one. Missouri over Princeton was a big one. And then the late back doors where UCLA and Texas were in position to cover. But both teams foul a three-point shooter very late in the game to make, uh, to play a major role in the backdoor cover in that one. Let's get to Thursday's games. Tom Izzo is really good. What's, what's his, uh, his, his uh, saying? You guys get me the first game, I'll get us the next one. So with one day uh, one day notice on who their opponent will be, that second game of the weekend, his record is unbelievable. Kansas State opened up a one-point favorite. Right now, Bet Rivers, Paul, the Spartans are 2-137.5 and over Kansas State. Yeah, like you mentioned, uh, Michigan State back in the Sweet 16 for the 15th time under Tom Izzo. So uh, perhaps there's some truth to this uh, March magic uh, in Tom Izzo. Uh, certainly there is because he's been uh, just incredible uh, at this time of the year. You look at uh, Michigan State's game against Marquette. They outscored Marquette 32-16 to in the paint. They out-rebounded the Golden Eagles by five boards. They also made 83% of their free throws. They made 19-23 uh, to 23, uh, from the charity stripe, so that certainly keeps a, uh, a team in front uh, in good position to go ahead and secure the victory. So a pretty good recipe for success that the Spartans displayed uh, against Marquette yesterday on Sunday. In this game, as you mentioned, I believe Kansas State actually opens as a one-point favorite over Michigan State. Uh, but the money comes in on Michigan State, and it has now been uh, bet to the favorite. Uh, you know, Kansas State, you think back earlier in the year, uh, they climbed as high as number five in the polls in late January. And when they did, Marquise Noel, I mean, he, he was cooking. You know, he was clicking on all cylinders. He was shooting the three, uh, dishing out assists, steals. I mean, you name it, Noel was at the top of his game. Uh, when Kansas State started out uh, Big 12 play uh, on a real good trajectory there. Well, you saw the game yesterday in their first-round game probably. Uh, he's back on uh, back on his game again. You look at the games against Montana State and Kentucky, 44 points, 23 assists, uh, six steals, 54% from the field, six of 14 from three-point land. I mean, Noel is playing at an extremely high level, just had a – a tremendously uh, positive performance uh, yesterday in the victory over Kentucky. He's from Harlem. He's returning home to play uh, Michigan State at Madison Square Garden. I know Izzo and Sparty, they're going to craft a defensive game plan to try to limit uh, the penetration that Noel seems to get, and that opens up passing lanes and allows him to work his magic. So they're not just going to sit back and probably let him do what he did against Kentucky. But he's just playing with so much confidence. Uh, I, I think Kansas State, especially getting two, uh, that's the play here. I've taken the Wildcats plus the points over Michigan State. Michigan State wins 69-60, to Bruce, over Marquette, despite only shooting two of 16 from three-point range. 
They were 22 of 38 from two-point range. And so, you know, really attacked the basket. A lot of ball movement. Izzo's offense allowed them to do that. I thought Noel uh, from Kansas State, every time uh, Kentucky was looked like they were threatening to, you know, create a little distance, you know, he takes it into his own hands. Some clutch threes yeah. uh, down the stretch uh, and uh, allow Kansas State. Because Shibwe was so massive. Two things he does to you. He gives them so many second chance opportunities. And also, he, I mean, he's such a handful that he, he, he gets you guys into foul trouble. It gets Kentucky uh, into the bonus quickly. Both of those things that Kansas State had to deal with in their come from behind win. Yeah. You know, one thing about this matchup, I agree with Paul. I'm going to take Kansas State here, too. Um, th- there's going to be a great Izzo surge this week in the public. And we, we, and listen, I, I, I know how good Izzo can be, and we saw it again on uh, Sunday. And I think the real difference in that game uh, was obviously the Michigan State defense in particular, what they did to Tyler Kolick. They really flustered him. I didn't think Kolick could be flustered like that in a game. But Michigan State flustered him uh, pretty well. So, as Paul says, I mean, he will have four days to devise something to do against uh, uh, Marquise Noel, too. Um, however, I want to remind everybody that what Izzo's coached in about, what, 20 tournaments, I think now, um, uh, he's lost a game in, in every one of them at the end, except one, uh, they end up losing, uh, they're going to lose before the end here. So I, I don't think it's like a necessity. A lot of people are going to be talking about, we got to bet Izzo, got to bet Izzo, got to bet Izzo. Uh, I don't know that that you have to. I mean, Jerome Tang is pushing a lot of the, the buttons for Kansas State correctly. They will also be able to go to school what Michigan State did against Marquette. And again, I think it was a lot of just completely flustering Kolick in that game, and they weren't able to get into their offense like they normally would. Uh, Noel is a pretty, pretty tough customer, though. And you're right, Michigan State was not shooting the threes all that well against Marquette. And uh, they still managed to survive because they had Marquette completely flustered the other way. If they can fluster K-State like that, uh, perhaps they could pull out another one. They weren't playing. They were playing better the second half of the season, uh, Michigan State. But they weren't uh, red hot coming into uh, the dance. And they hadn't put together a really long winning streak all season. I I don't know that they get past uh, Thursday night. So I'm probably looking at the K-State side. K-State went in the game despite being out-rebounded by Kentucky by 19 of 42 uh, to 23 and uh, on Sunday's game. They come from behind win uh, in that one. No doubt Kolick, uh, they had him. Was it just Kolick having a bad day or was it, you know, was it with Michigan State did to him? Maybe a combination of the two, but uh, he was not his usual effective self. I mean, a big, the Big East Tournament uh, MVP. And uh, just not was not the case. All right, uh, uh, seven fifteen tips uh, Eastern Time on CBS. Arkansas in Kentucky. This is the one region where it's pretty much held to form. Minus Arkansas's upset of Kansas, and they did it uh, with a double digit deficit in the second half. And I also thought, and this is from a person that allayed uh, the points with Kansas. I also thought they did it with a lot of favorable whistles uh, for Kansas uh, in that second half. But Arkansas, just too good. We've been talking about him all year. They're dangerous. They're dangerous. But it was one of the local kids, one of the program players that got it done in Davis uh, for Arkansas. UConn, uh, they uh, take care of business. They did get, a, a like we said, kind of a, a break where the – the uh, the the best uh, best player and uh, he was hot uh, for uh, for uh, 
excuse me, Loyola Marymount, uh, was knocked out with a back injury for the rest of the game in the first half. Bet Rivers right now, Paul, UConn is three and a half, 139 and a half over Arkansas. Yeah, you know, like many, Jimmy, I, I thought UConn was perhaps the top team in the entire country heading into the new year. I mean, they were playing uh, at a really high level. But, you know, we now essentially have a five-month season in college basketball. The, the season started back on November 7th, and I believe the national championship game uh, on that Monday, the first Monday in April, is April 3rd. So it's essentially a five-month season. So every team in today's college basketball landscape, they're going to have highs and lows uh, and UConn, certainly, after the, the start of the new year, they hit their low point uh, starting Big East play with a 5-6 and six record. Uh, but now, you know, the Huskies' uh, midseason uh, dip uh, seems eons ago. They really are, are clicking on all cylinders. They've won 11 of their past 13 games since that slow start. Uh, their only losses during this current hot stretch by three points to Creighton, by two points to Marquette. Uh, and much like the case I made for Kansas State and the hot hand of Marquise Noel, my support for UConn uh, is based largely, anyway, on a single player. Uh, and you could probably guess that player is Adama Sanogo. You look at his last three games, all against quality opponents, uh, talking about Marquette, Iona, and St. Mary's, he has scored a total of 71 points in those three games, 32 rebounds, 32 of his 45 field goal attempts, so hitting 71%. On the season, he's a 78% um, free throw shooter, so you've got to like that. Typically stays out of foul trouble. He's only fouled out of two games all year. So I like, I like where they are coming in, into this game. Arkansas in their third straight uh, Sweet 16 under Eric Musselman. Uh, I, again, I, I, just, I like the Huskies here. One thing that uh, we've talked about, and I know you've really uh, uh, emphasized, uh, Jimmy, is the offensive or lack of offensive play from Nick Smith, Jr. Arkansas is not a great three-point shooting team. In fact, they rank very, very low uh, in that statistical category nationally. But Nick, Nick Smith, Jr., he's only 36 of 105 from the field his last seven games, only 10 of 32 uh, from beyond the arc. Arkansas in their last three games, I believe it is, 14 of 57 from beyond the arc. At some point, you know, you're going to have to uh, hit some three-pointers. I don't think UConn's going to be the team that they're going to do it against. UConn only gives up 30% uh, to their opponents on three-point field goal attempts, so one of the better teams in the country at defending the three-pointer. So I like UConn minus three-and-a-half. And, and part of my handicap, too, I don't want to see Eric Musselman take his shirt off again. So you got three and a half over Arkansas here in the Sweet 16 game. <laughs> Nick Smith, 0 for 4. Zippo, uh, Bruce, in the one-point win over Kansas. Well, here's the deal, though, Jimmy. Uh, he didn't play that much. And uh, Musselman has kind of figured out, you know, listen, if he's not going to help me, I'm not going to force it with him. Right. I thought that was very important that they didn't, they weren't Smith dependent in that game, and they don't have to be, especially if Devo Davis is going to shoot like that. So they've sort of got Smith under control right now, and he can shoot them out of a game as quickly as he shoots them into it. Musk is not going to let him shoot them out of a game, period. That's He's learned that the month that uh, or so that Smith has been uh, available. So uh, I, I think he's sort of figured out how to manage that. And that's the, the deal. What I like here is, is giving Musselman an extra four days to come up with something. Um, 
I totally respect his ability to do that. Arkansas is going to come at UConn with more length and athleticism, certainly, than they saw against the St. Mary's, and maybe more than they saw throughout the entire uh, Big East season. And uh, this will not be as easy for Sonogo. Uh, they're going to come at they, – they've got a lot of length down in the blocks here and out on the perimeter. And I think, in particular, Hawkins may not have as easy a time, too. When you play Arkansas and, and you're going up against Arkansas playing defense, they have so much quickness and length there, they can recover if they make a mistake. And that's something St. Mary's couldn't do on a Sunday. And I think you're going to see UConn have some problems with that. Uh, Davis is playing, you know, out of his mind right now. But I'm yeah. telling you, you give Musselman four days or so, I'll take Arkansas. I believe what he said at the end of the game. He said, nobody's believing me. We're getting better. I think they are. I think, I mean, I, like Paul, I'm pretty bullish on UConn too. I don't like this matchup for them. I like it a little more for Arkansas. There's a little magic going. He's been to the Elite Eight the last two years, different teams than this one, but this one's coming on right now, and I'm telling you, it's a very scary matchup for UConn. Yeah, Nick Smith Jr. was on the bench uh, for most of that comeback uh, in the second half uh, by Arkansas. You could see it coming as well. Here are the numbers. Uh, So against Kansas, Nick Smith played 16 minutes. He attempted four shots. He was over four. The previous eight games, he averaged 32 minutes. So double that, and he averaged uh, 16 shots. So 32 minutes and 16 shots over eight games, and Musselman, give him him a little credit because, man, the narrative. I mean, we talked about it over and over. Nick Smith Jr., he's going to play. He's going to go. He he lifts their ceiling, the whole bit. But it was in-game against Kansas where he said, man, no, I'm going with the guys who are playing better right now. Well, you know, so uh, it'll be interesting how they – how he blends in with it, with this team, well, we will have to see. So, um, L, uh, Arkansas, hey, shirt or no shirt, I mean, son of a gun, three straight sweet 16s. That's, um, you know, he and Bruce Pearl uh, in that conference are proven to be uh, doggone good uh, tournament coaches. I know Bruce and them, uh, Bruce Pearl and them lost that, uh, that lead in the second half against, uh, against Houston. All right, Tennessee and Florida Atlantic. After and so, what do you look at here, Tennessee? Tennessee was so impressive in building that big lead against ULL. I think it was eighteen, may have been sixteen, sixteen or eighteen was the biggest lead in the second half. All of a sudden, ULL goes on a thirteen to nothing run. They get it down as three. They never had the ball in a one possession game late, but they did get it to a one possession game. Uh, cut it, covered easily, backdoor that one. Duke, man, they leaned on them, and boy, I mean. I hear with Ziegler, okay, but you watch the ball movement and you watch the offense and the flow without Ziegler. It seemed as though they depended on Ziegler to create, dribble, penetrate on his own or his own shot. I loved more ball movement by a Tennessee against Duke, which is a good defensive team, and certainly you got more size. You never want to lose a player that's your you know, handles the ball so much. But I'm just wondering about this Tennessee team without him. I think they are just fine right there. Florida Atlantic, um, you know, with the win over Memphis, a gutsy win right there. And then they uh, draw Fairleigh Dickinson and take care of that. Tennessee, uh, Paul, five and 130 and a half over the Isles of Florida Atlantic. Yeah, you know, Tennessee, a team uh, in the top 10 for, for much of the season, 
Uh, then they start stumbling down the stretch, and then they lose uh, their point guard, Ziegler, as you mentioned. Uh, they enter the tournament. Uh, their previous 12 games entering the tournament, they were 5-7 and seven straight up. And then you mentioned the game against Louisiana where their biggest lead was 18 points, I believe, with about 12 uh, minutes to go. Uh, they almost squander all that lead, uh, hang on to win 58-55 over the Raging Cajuns. So not exactly a stellar effort entering the Duke game. I think the line on Saturday got up to Duke being favored by four. And a month earlier, you know, this line, Tennessee would have probably been favored by four on a neutral. So uh, that kind of shows you how quickly things uh, can change. But uh, then, uh, you know, pitted against this Duke team that had gotten healthy, playing its best basketball of the year. Uh, I think I heard uh, one of the commentators say, with their uh, starting lineup, Duke was 18-1 and one or 19-1 and one on, the, on the season. Uh, everybody pretty much dismissed Tennessee's chances. Uh, but as one Tennessee player said, uh, they got Duke in the mud, uh, eliminated the Blue Devils, uh, played that tough and physical, sometimes even ugly style of play. Uh, and, uh, you know, what a, what a victory for them. This is not any great epiphany that uh, Florida Atlantic's going to want to play fast. They're going to want to play up-tempo against Tennessee. They don't want Tennessee to get set up in that half-court uh, defense. But I believe it's easier for the slower-paced team uh, to dictate the tempo than vice versa in college basketball. The Volunteers, number one in the nation, according to Ken Palm, and adjusted defensive efficiency. They held Duke to a season-low 52 points. In their last 14 games, the Volunteers are 9-4-1 and one to the under. Uh, they play great uh, three-point uh, defense, number one in the nation. Opponents only shoot 26% against Tennessee from beyond the arc. Florida Atlantic shoots a lot of three-pointers. They shoot 26 three-pointers a game, 44% of their offensive shots. So I think this one, while I don't really have a strong opinion uh, on the side, you maybe see where I'm going. I think this game's going to go under, and I like the under 130-and-a-half in Tennessee, Florida Atlantic. All right, Bruce. Uh, yeah, I kind of see the same thing. Uh, under was the first way I was looking here, and there's a lot of Tennessee love right now. And like Paul said, they really weren't playing that great until uh, until the uh, Duke game. And then, you know, everything that Paul said, you know, that happened there defensively, they really just put the vice grip on the Duke. I, I was wrong in that game. I, I had Duke. I thought they'd be able to navigate that a little bit better. They hardly had any success getting inside. Those young frontliners on, uh, on, uh, on Duke were very flustered by all that Tennessee physicality. And the Vols did just enough offensively to, to push themselves over the finish line. And here we are. Uh, the, the one regret that I have here is that uh, Memphis didn't beat Florida Atlantic. And uh, you'd have a Memphis versus Tennessee matchup here, which would be quite, quite interesting. So, uh, you know, Penny Hardaway's detractors, you have something else now to talk about after losing that game to FAU the other night. Uh, the Owls early in the season played a couple of SEC teams. I mean, right off the bat, uh, the first weekend, they lost a game at Ole Miss. They came back to beat Florida when Florida, it was early in Todd Golden's days, but they were still full strength at the Castleton. So I, I don't discount them here, even though they ended up having some trouble with, with a fairly Dickinson, but they ended up uh, pulling away right at the end. John L. Davis, very good guard. Like Paul said, they like to go up tempo. They score over 77 points per game. Uh, shoot it well from the floor and from beyond the arc. But I, I, I can't see them getting over the hump, but I'm still not quite 
trusting Tennessee to extend a margin here uh, with their games played in the uh, uh, 50s and 60s here. So I, I think they can slow anybody down. Florida Atlantic's not that potent. That'll be the key here. The pace will be slower. And uh, I'm tempted to lean to Tennessee, but at this point I'm going to just stick on the under like Paul here and see what happens from there. Tennessee uh, definitely got that defense rolling again, man. That was some tough, tough possessions uh, for the Duke Blue Devils. It really frustrated them. All right, well, great matchup uh, here out in Las Vegas, uh, UCLA and Gonzaga. So, uh, boy, one thing about uh, Drew Timmy, man, he said, you want to end game, you better keep a, keep an eye on when he takes his rest and when he's about to come back in the game. He is a difference maker uh, for the Zags, and I do like their kind of lower than one seed kind of position. Just a little bit. Seems to be like they're a little bit more comfortable uh, in that spot. UCLA with their injuries, they're still playing good. You, you got to respect the heart uh, of this team. Cronin's done a great job. So here we go. UCLA is banged up as they are. A two and 145 and a half right now in Las Vegas against Gonzaga. Paul? Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, I was reading this morning. I know at the time, uh, Singleton's in, uh, ankle injury lo- really looked like uh, it, it could be uh, a season ender. But looking uh, this morning, you know, nothing's broken, has a sprained ankle, uh, appears likely to play against Gonzaga in Vegas on Thursday. Obviously, the Bruins already without their point guard, uh, Jalen Clark, who's their defensive starter. Uh, he was lost an Achilles injury uh, earlier this month. You know, and I, I know Bruce is really close to this UCLA program, but, man, it seems like the Bruins the last four or five seasons, they have had more than their share of injury uh, issues to deal with. And hopefully Singleton will be uh, at or near full strength. They certainly don't need any more, you know, bad news on that front. I'll say I'm mildly surprised UCLA is the favorite here. You know, I had it shaded the other way. Uh, I actually made Gonzaga minus two, and I'm usually pretty, pretty close. But clearly, this is a different time of year. I'm giving more weight to Clark's injury uh, and how it impacts the Bruins' power rating and their overall performance. Uh, In their last two games against top 40 opponents, isolating those kind of games, they lost by two to Arizona and Vegas uh, and then held on to defeat uh, Northwestern by five uh, in the second round, uh, you know, failing to put away a Wildcat team that entered the tournament having lost four of their previous Uh, five games. You look at Gonzaga, uh, since they lost to St. Mary's, uh, lost that lead, lose at St. Mary's in early February. They've reeled off 11 straight victories, uh, been mostly impressive in doing so. Certainly it's fair, as many uh, detractors point out, uh, to criticize uh, Gonzaga's caliber of uh, opposition uh, in the West Coast Conference. You know, they can't do anything about that. That's the conference they play in. Uh, but one thing you can say about Mark Few, you know, he is not shy about playing anybody and everybody in the non-conference. He really uh, gets them uh, tournament tough by the people he schedules in non-conference. They've already beat Alabama, uh, Kentucky, Xavier, and Michigan State, just to mention a few. Uh, you know, I think Gonzaga plus two. I think there's I think there's value there just from a number standpoint. I don't think with uh, Clark's injury that uh, UCLA uh, should be the favorite here. So I'm taking Gonzaga plus the small points. Uh, Bruce? If Singleton plays, and it looks like he will, uh, I think UCLA is going to win this game. A couple of reasons. One, uh, venue, uh, by the way, uh, T-Mobile Arena, if UCLA gets all the way to the Elite Eight, 
uh, the Bruins will have played seven games in this arena this season. So this is sort of their home, uh, away from home, whatever that's worth. But they're certainly used to playing here, including just last week in the uh, in the Pac-12 uh, tournament. Uh, UCLA does a couple of things very well here. Uh, they, they make their free throws, and they don't turn the ball over. So there's two key things there that will help them if the game is close uh, at the end. They... Um, you know they have they have weathered Clark's injury, and uh, by me they've been they've been able to keep it at a pretty high level the last couple of weeks. What I like here, and I'm going back in my UCLA memory bank here, and and we we talk about having fouls to use, and uh, with the Bonna back playing last weekend, a pretty physical presence down low, and Nuba also playing more too. This reminds me of back in 1980. When, uh, and there's been other examples of this since, but uh, Larry Brown had two bigs, uh, uh, Gig Sims and Daryl Allums, to throw at Joe Barry Carroll when they played Purdue in the in the Final Four back in Indy, and I thought, yeah, we got some fouls to use against Carroll. Uh, he's got some fouls to use against Timmy, so they can be pretty physical with him, uh, and and so he's got a little bit of flexibility there. Gonzaga does not play great defense. Uh, they are not a great rebounding team. They have a great player in Timmy who seems to get rebounds, but uh, defensively, this is not a great team. I still think the keys for Gonzaga, if it's going to make that run all the way this year, we know how good Timmy is. It's going to have to be Watson. It's going to have to be Strother. Strother, listen, is up to you know mid to late first round pick in a lot of NBA mock drafts. We know he's good. Watson, I think, is sort of the key. Uh, but this is not a great defensive team. And I know they have played a lot. They, they beat Alabama uh, in Birmingham back in uh, December mm-hmm. and uh, played everybody else pretty tough. But UCLA's got a little little bit of a grit edge here and a little some payback for two years ago, that uh, incredible game that Suggs won in the 35-footer at the buzzer in Indianapolis. I'm leaning to the Bruins here. I, as, this is a asterisk as long as Singleton is available because, like I said, if he's not – I don't think Josh Johnson from the 49ers is available to come in as an emergency wing player here for, for, for Mick. But it looks like, like Paul said, Singleton, it didn't seem as bad, that first report. I think he's available. I think the Bruins win. I think it's a battle of tempo uh, as well. UCLA, uh, especially with their lack of uh, depth, uh, you know, wants to grind it out a little bit more. Uh, Gonzaga likes to run. But two of my favorite program players, uh, now Timmy's already said he's going to forego his last year, but – Man, Hawkes and Timmy have been just a big part of these two teams winning a lot of games uh, over the years. I just don't I, I don't see where either one is going to be real easy uh, for this one. So we will see uh, what uh, what happens there. Hey, don't forget uh, our Sports Betters Paradise. We're going to come back and do the Friday night games as well. You can find Sports Betters Paradise wherever you find your podcast. In uh, on the uh, Gulf Coast and sports book over the weekend, and some uh, we got some listeners in Atlanta, so that they were uh, showing me their, their how they had it uh, downloaded on their phones. So we're excited about those guys as well. Tell your friends where to find us again. A lot of people looking for picks. It's free right here in the Sports Better's Paradise for Bruce Marshall, the Gold Sheet, Paul Stone at Paul Stone Sports. I'm Jimmy Ott for the Sports Better's Paradise on the Bet Rivers Network.